it's, it's so amazing to be here. Um, there's so many things I'd like to just talk about and talk with you about and to hear more of your story and let you know a good bit of the story of Steadfast. So I've loved you guys from afar for a while. Can you hear me at all? Or I just need to talk in my grown-up voice. Okay. Hey, you doing good? All right. Yeah, so um, there's all kinds of things I would I would love to chase rabbits on and just uh, tell you little quippy things that uh, would be helpful. Um, but uh, I just want you to know that you probably have me um, in a uh, in my weakness uh, because uh, I don't see myself as a as a preacher. Uh, again, I'm a counselor uh, I think a talker, but. Um, uh, I can often say I can speak uh, for 20 minutes on any topic as long as facts don't come into equation. And so uh, just know that about me. Uh, I've also, uh, we left our home on Wednesday with uh, my wife, Donald's, uh, with her mother. And we went Wednesday night to a wedding reception or a rehearsal dinner for our youngest. We uh, got him married. Uh, to our lovely daughter-in-law, Michelle, on Thursday. And on Friday, we stopped at Bucky's. How many, how many people know about Bucky's in Texas? Yeah. We stopped at Bucky's, got a care package. Yeah, for the Martinsons. And then we uh, we drove to Council Bluffs. Yeah. And then we you know, we did a short trip from Council Bluffs to here <laughs> yesterday. So, um, so yeah, so we're going to be talking about um, a lot of different things this morning. I'll uh, jump into my teaching, but uh, one thing uh, I've been reading Psalm 119 and I'll be talking about it, and I often think about Psalm 119 is kind of a marathon of Psalms. You know, it's 176 verses. I kind of reframe that now. It's kind of Psalm 119 is now the drive to North Dakota. You think you're near the end, and then there's another six hours. <laughs> but we're so glad to be here. Um, we're we're so so just happy to to just learn more about your home, your church, your surroundings, your city, and uh, we just we love Fargo from afar for a long time. So I'll just just jump jump in and. Uh, yeah, it's so good to be here. It's just an honor. Uh, really, I feel like you've invited me into your home. You've invited Don and I into your home. So, uh, yeah, so my name is Jim Burke, and, and I'm a congregational elder at the Austin Stone Community Church in Austin, Texas. Um, I'm also a biblical counselor, and so that's how I meet a lot of people around the country. You know, internationally, and that sort of thing. And then my wife is Donna, she's here, and so uh, she has been uh, dealing with all the hotel challenges along the way. And she can, yeah, she, she has more challenges than I do about hotels, but y'all understand that sort of thing. <laughs> so, um, so we uh, we actually blended a family in 2000. Uh, we have uh, five boys and a girl, uh, and at the time they ranged in age. 
19 to 12. So when we got married, we came home to six teenagers. Uh, luckily, they're all adults now and uh, profess to be. And uh, we, have, we now have 11 grandchildren. And they range in the age, from the age of uh, one's turning four, and then the oldest is 19 going to college. So that's, that's pretty amazing. So um, yeah, let me jump in. I, I'll tell you a little bit about myself. I'll get into a story, and then I really do want to jump into Psalm 119 and do a little teaching on that. Uh, I actually grew up in a very small town in South Louisiana called uh, St. Martinville, Louisiana. It's referred to as kind of the Bayou Country of Louisiana. That's known for its great cooking, its unique uh, music of Cajun and Zydeco music, uh, a lot of great outdoor hunting and fishing. And it was once like on the license plate, it was called the, the Sportsman's Paradise at one time. And so uh, we grew up there, and the culture was Juanabi. It was the love of life. Uh, we didn't have the Puritan work ethic where I grew up. It was just Juanabi. And so, um, you know, it's all about delighting in, in all this uh, food and, and the culture and the music. Uh, unfortunately, it was completely unredeemed. There really wasn't a culture of doctrine or culture. Uh, it, it, I just didn't learn any of that growing up. And so uh, this, it was unredeemed, but at the same time, it was just delightful. And so recently, Don and I have had the ability to go back there and uh, meet some of my neighborhood friends and see the culture. Uh, Don grew up in Austin, and so it's very different. It's just six hours down the road, but it's very, very different culture. And so it's just a delight, too, for me to remember and go back. So I think that is something important that we need to think about. That having said all that, there, there is something in common for all of us. We all seem to be delighted. We're looking for delight in something. And we all do find delight in something. But we're all seeking a, a, a joy of living of some kind, uh, a joy of life in something. However, this side of heaven, it seems like temporary joy is all that we have. You know, eventually we have to leave South Louisiana and drive back to Texas. On Wednesday we have to leave Fargo in these great temperatures and drive back to Texas. <laughs> and we're expecting 100 or something to we'll get there. So, um, so everything on this side of eternity seems fleeting and fruitless. My childhood memories fade and move on to other lives. God knows this. But the good news is that God <laughs> does want us. And that's why he, he tells us to find delight in his word. So I'm here to talk about God's word today, and specifically how can you delight in it, in his word. And again, I'll focus on Psalm 119. Uh, the ways this psalm challenges us is to meditate on God's word and to delight in it. And then I hope to be able to illustrate how the, the psalmist provides four ways of how to delight in God's words. So not only delighting in it, but how do we do that? So before I start, let's just remember the gospel. And um, you know, the worship team has done a good job of this, but let's just remember the, the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who died for our sins and rose again, and who's eternally triumphant over all of his enemies. So that now there's no condemnation believe, but only everlasting joy. So this is the gospel we want to remember today. So I'll pray and then 
to track down. How about Bob? How many of you on this summer side of the kind of exhale? We have the weekend or we have our busyness during the week, we have a busyness during the weekend, but we, we serve you by working well and also serve you by, by resting. So we delight in our work and we delight in our rest. We just pray that for our time here, you would turn off the motors of our restless busyness and our restless amusement, that we might delight in the things that you find in the frailties of Jesus. All right, so just uh, some basics about the Bible and God's Word. We just will remember that there 66 different books of the Bible. Uh, there's 40 different human writers that contributed to the Bible. It just took over 1,500 years to write. But uh, we just need to remember that there's really only one author of the Bible, and that's God himself. 2 Timothy 3.16 says that the Bible is God-breathed. Uh, it was breathed out by God. The Bible is the word of God, not words about God. It is 100% man-written and 100% God-authored. It's God-breathed. It's also, uh, the Bible is not a road map to heaven. God reveals himself through his word. The gift of God's word is that we get to read it and get more of him. We do not worship the Bible. We love the Bible because God reveals himself through the Bible. And get more of God through reading and meditating on the Bible. So then, some specifics about Psalm 119. I don't know how many of you guys have ever really dove into Psalm 119, but it is the longest uh, chapter of the Bible. It's near the very middle of the Bible. It has 176 verses. It was originally written as an acrostic poem, but we lose that in our English translation. But the parents of the Hebrew children would teach the Hebrew alphabet using the acrostic format of the of Psalm 119. So eight, the first eight stanzas would be the letter Alf, the next eight stanzas would be the letter Beta, and then we go on to the 22 letters of the Hebrew uh, alphabet, and that's, that's how they teach the children. So if they're teaching children these truths, it must be pretty important. But I think we lose that in, the, in our translation. So uh, the writer, Psalm 119 is not known. Uh, one writer possibly could be Ezra the priest, writing at the time of the temple being rebuilt. Uh, others say King David may have written it, and then others even say Daniel may have written it. So, uh, the overall message of Psalm 119 focuses on the truth of God's word, and, uh, and you'll see a lot of descriptive words like commands, precepts, laws, ways, decrees, wisdom, rules throughout all of Psalm 119. Uh, however, David Pallison uh, points out that even more than mentioning descriptions of God's word, uh, that is far and away the most common words used in Psalm 119 are first and second person singular pronouns. So we'll, we'll see in throughout Psalm 119 there'll be a lot of I, me, my, mine, or you, your, yours. And so Psalm Allison would say Psalm 119 has the most extensive I to you conversation in the Bible. 
you think about that, it, it really it, it really is. It's fascinating what you start reading and seeing it through the closets. Uh, so think about this for a second. The most extensive ICU conversation in the Bible is found in Psalm 19. And this may be a new insight. But also begs the question, what does it look like to talk to God? Allison would say, see Psalm 19. When we look, uh, here, here, I'll just give you a small example. I'll take the last four verses of Psalm 119, just verses 173 through 176. And here, here's how, this is the, these four verses. It says, let your hand be ready to help me, for I have chosen your precepts. I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. Let my soul live and praise you, and let your rules help me. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. So you see that there are four short, in these four short verses, there are four references to precepts, laws, rules, and commandments. However, as Pallison points out, there are 16 examples of first person uh, and second person pronouns, four times the number of references to uh, God's word. And so it truly is, in Psalm 19, a, an I to you conversation. So, with that foundation kind of set and kind of set the scene, let me start with a, a personal story. And we'll shift gears for just a bit, and then we'll come back to Psalm 119. So, in nine, this is a personal story about myself. In, in 1995, I found myself in my mid 30s, divorced. A single parent, near bankruptcy, no assets to speak of, living in a one-room apartment, which was actually a single-car garage turned into an apartment with four kids. As a single parent of elementary and middle school-aged children, I'd have my children every first Thursday weekend uh, of the month, every other holiday, and for an extended time in the summer. And this is really difficult for a single parent. Some, some parents don't even have this much. And so it, it's very difficult being a single parent. So to say the least, this was a very low point in my life. And, and, and life was hard. So, uh, so one evening, I was sitting in my so-called apartment. And in my mind's eye, I pictured scaffolding. I realized that something was terribly wrong about how I had built my life. I thought something about the scaffolding. Thinking through my situation, I asked God to remove everything that might be faulty in my life and replace it with whatever he wanted to replace it with. Now remember, I didn't grow up with any doctrine. All I grew up with was just okay? Uh, so that's what surrender looked like for me in that moment. And it, it had become obvious that my very best, absolute best thinking, my best decision making had landed me here, and I needed another plan. And I knew I needed a better plan, and I knew God's plan would be better than anything I could produce. So uh, I prayed that God would do the things in my life that I couldn't do for myself. And in my own way, I surrendered to God's plan of that life. And I surrendered to His plan for my life. And so in Hebrews uh, 13, 5, it says, God is faithful. That's my testimony. God is faithful. Not Jim Burke is faithful, but God is faithful. And so he is faithful 
Uh, with him being faithful, he began to rebuild my life using his word. I didn't even know that at the time when I prayed. I did not even know enough about God's word to know and get eventually to do that. So starting in my first Bible study, uh, God began to reveal to me who he is and how he changes people. Next, he led me to a financial Bible study, and I began to learn about what God said about money, finances, and stewardship. Then I was led to a Bible preaching church and began hearing the sermons on Song of Solomon. God revealed to me really a biblical definition of relationships and marriage. Later, God showed me how families should work and how the Bible, what the Bible said about parenting. And then even later, I began attending a biblical recovery program where I could begin to take inventory of my struggles with sin and anger and shame and lack of self-control. During all this time, God was faithful to repair and rebuild my sin-ridden life. So how did the Bible change me from a desperate man to a, delight, to a man delighting in God's Word? As you heard, in Bible studies, God was faithful and revealed himself to me through the Word. And he revealed himself to me through reading Scripture and studying the Bible with others. And since that time, made it a practice to read my Bible daily. I'm sad to say that I'm not always been completely disciplined over the years, but more recently I've been able to really stay in a rhythm of being in daily Bible reading. And part of that rhythm started a few years back when I discovered Psalm 119. Now you'll I, I will actually hear pastors say this that no pastor will preach a sermon on Psalm 119. And that intrigued me when I heard that. The reason is because there's no ebbs and flows, there's no climax and resolve, and it's just verse after verse, verse 176. So once I learned some basic things about Psalm 119, I fell in love with it, and then I could see uh, if I, uh, so, so I'll try and unpack it, but I'll, I'll try and communicate with you how I began to delight in reading my Bible and reading Psalm 119. So like the real delight was to really get home with me. Uh, in Psalm 19, when I discovered verse uh, 92. Psalm 19, verse 92, speaks directly to my story that I just shared with you. Here's what it says. It says, I would have perished in my affliction if your word had not been my delight. I would have perished. My afflictions were real. My past was full of grief and loss. My present situation was as if someone had taken apart my world right in front of me. My future was clouded with anger and bitterness and hopelessness. But God is faithful. Verse uh, 92 of Psalm 119 is like a cool drink of water to my soul and it may smell expensive. Something uh, I like to remind myself of daily is just the, the word Emmanuel, God with us. Remembering that God, God remembers us, he, he, he remembers me specifically, he sees my situation, he hears my cries, God knows my pain. I could tangibly sense all of this just summarizing this verse 92. I would have perished in my affliction if your words had not been my delight. This verse was so clear and concise and comforting to me. You know that God knows me and he loves me enough to speak to my specific situation. Think about this with me for a moment. In centuries past, back 
back in the day, the psalmist wrote Psalm 19. God had him write these words for verse 92 so that he could reveal it and reveal himself to me. My specific circumstance in 1995, I was perishing in my affliction. The God had already known and had written down so that he could reveal himself through his word. Psalm 19. I got more It may sound silly or a silly way of putting this, but it was like getting a Hallmark card. Have you ever had this happen if a particular life event is occurring and inside the printed card is the exact situation that you're going through? It's like, how did they know? How did they know? It's like an amazing company feeling that you get. So there's there's more. But that that's how Psalm 19 works out. So as I continued to read Psalm 19, I found more verses that I could hold on to that brought healing to my situation as God worked in my life. I found more ways to delight in this world. Verse 14 says, In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as all riches. So he speaks to my financial problems and gives me perspective. Psalm 16 says, I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Instructs me to meditate on his word. My testimonies, or your testimonies, are my delight. They are my counselor. He reminds me that I found the ultimate counselor in him. And then I've already read this one from verse 174. I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. He reminds me that ultimately he will make all things right. Not today, but ultimately, a new heaven and a new earth are coming, and we can set our hope in that. So when learning to delight in God's word, each of these uh, verses speak to me uniquely and specifically. Now, let's, uh, let's delve a little further into kind of the, teach, the teaching around Psalm 19, because it does tell us how to delight in God's word. So it instructs us to delight in God's word, but then it also instructs us how to. So let's go through those. There's four means I'll talk about. So um, this comes from a, a journal of biblical counseling article again by David Allison. It's entitled Suffering in Psalm 19. So we'll just unpack it. The article Four means, and the first one is the psalmist says to God, the first means, the psalmist says to God, you are, you say, you do. The second means is the psalmist says to God, I'm facing struggles with. Thirdly, the psalmist says to God, I need you to. And finally, the psalmist says to God, I'm committed to. There's just these four means, and then we'll just look at examples of each. Now, remember what discussed earlier, Allison called Psalm 19 the most extensive ITU conversation in the Bible, so let's see how that works out. <coughs> so with the first, uh, with these four means, we'll begin to see what Allison is talking about. And for the sake of time, I'm just going to use a few small examples. I, I won't dive into everything. So, uh, but you can, I'll challenge you to go through Psalm 19 and find more of these on your own. On your own mistake. So, uh, 
So the psalmist says to God, you are, you say, you do. The psalmist used short truths to communicate this. He says things like, the earth is full of your kindness, your loving kindness. Your faithfulness continues throughout all generations. Your hands made me and fashioned me. The psalmist reminds us that the Lord speaks wonders. Your law is true. Your word is very pure. Your word stands firm in the heavens forever. Uh, the psalmist reminds us that God destroys evil. You rebuke the arrogant. You reject all those who wander from your statutes. You remove all the wicked of the earth like dross. And then the psalmist reminds us that yet again, the Lord is merciful to you. You are good and do good. In faithfulness, you afflict the needy. Your mercies are great. So we choose to delight by speaking to God and to say to him, say who he is practically. Secondly, the psalmist goes to God admitting the struggles he's facing. The psalmist admits the struggles are twofold. First, the psalmist says, I face terrible things inside myself. There's something inside of me that's terrible wrong. The psalmist's own sinfulness, his own sinfulness, is an affront to an all-perfect God. The psalmist knows the sin condition of his own heart. Secondly, the psalmist faces something terrible coming at him from outside. The sins of others and all life's troubles threaten to destroy the psalmist. So the psalmist is quick to admit that there's something wrong with me, and there's something wrong with what happens to me. Both ways, whether sin or hurt, the psalmist suffers threats of pain, destruction, shame, and death. So the psalmist speaks candidly to God about this double affliction. He says things like this in Psalm 19. My soul cleaves to the dust. My soul weeps because of grief. My eyes fail. When will you comfort me? The psalmist continues to lay his struggles back to God. The third means that the psalmist approaches God is in a posture of neediness. This is something that's really hard for us. That we, I actually think that we are needy and we need to go to God in the posture of neediness. So what does the, the psalmist say back to God when he finds himself in this tender and needy posture? He says things like, do not forsake me utterly. Seek your servant. In other words, don't give up on me. The psalmist is bold to ask for help. And he knows how hard it is to love. To love, and he says, don't let me wander from your commandments. The psalmist gets preoccupied with the wrong things and is bent in wrong ways. And he says, incline my heart to your testimonies. The psalmist realizes that his Bible can get routine at times, and he can rest. He can read the words, but not rest on them. He can read them, but miss the Lord. So he says things like, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things from your law. Help me, rescue me, lead my case, look on my affliction. And then finally, the fourth means in which the psalmist chooses to delight in God's word is just remembering who he is committed to. So the psalmist says things like, I have promised to keep your words. I treasure your word in my heart. Your servant meditates on your statutes. Forty times the psalmist rejoices, delights. Love, gives, thanks, marvels, sings praise. 
the word of the Lord heals, and says to his life, my heart stands in awe at everything you say. I love what you say exceedingly, passionately, above all things. I love your commandments more than your words could hold. So we've seen now the four meanings of the writer of Psalm 119 shows us how to practice delighting in God's word. So we go to God, we repeat to him who he is, what he says, what he's done, specifically telling him our struggles, the hard posture of meaning us, expecting God to act on our behalf, reminding us, reminding ourselves that we are his, that he bought us at a price, and expected for us, the death of his son, and that we want to delight in him. So again, it is important to delight in God's because it is through his word that God reveals himself to us. Through his word we get more of him. The more we read and delight in God's word, we learn what our Heavenly Father is like. We learn that God is the perfect representation, uh, Jesus is the perfect representation of the Father. And we are conformed to the image of the Son. So delighting in God's word, by delighting in God's word, we learn gospel of Jesus Christ. So wherever you find yourself this morning, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad that it is God's desire to make his word alive in today. So I just leave you with this kind of call to action or this challenge. I would just encourage you to start reading Psalm 119. It gets too dirty so just think of that drive from Austin to Parkland. <laughs> You can read just eight verses a day. That's just one of the 22 stanzas. And you'll complete all, all Psalm 119 in less than a month. And then just start over. So in this rhythm, we'll begin to change the way you talk to God to the way you talk to yourself. Start, start reading a real Bible time. I, I just do cover to cover. That's what's simple for me. I just do cover to cover. And uh, if you read three or four chapters a day, you will make it through the Bible in about a year. And, but there are other great reading plans out there, so I'd encourage you to pick one, just start today. Uh, G.K. Chesterton has a quote that says, if it's worth doing, it's worth doing badly. So I just say, start. Yeah. Um, be more intentional. Uh, get coffee with someone. Go to lunch. Invite someone to breakfast. Talk about Psalm 119. So my prayer will be that through these things, God will increase your intentionality and his faithfulness, you learn to delight in the Lord. So I'll leave you with one more story um, about George Mueller, who is he was born in Germany. He's one of my heroes. He was born in Germany, but he moved to Bristol, England in 1836. George Mueller began to work with orphans. Over his lifetime, George Mueller took care of 10,000 orphan children. It's amazing. There's so many stories that I would love to share with you about George Mueller, but here's the point I want to briefly make. George Mueller lives to be 92 years old. And in his old age, he said something that was that blew me away. I read his autobiography, and this statement blew me away. He said that he had read his Bible hundreds of times. Think about that. 92 years old, and he had read his Bible hundreds of times. And something just struck a nerve with me. It's like, I'm not that smart, but 
if I read something hundreds of times, I'm probably going to know something. Maybe. You know, I, I just, yeah. So it's just amazing. So I, I realized that that's kind of the person, that's what I would like to do. That's, that's what I would like to learn how to do. So um, but the reality is God is not, it's not God's will for me to be like George Mueller or compare myself to George Mueller. As a believer, God's standing for my life is Jesus. And God is faithful to reveal himself in his word. And God delights in his son. And so he delights in his son and he's pointing me to Jesus through his word. And so I had to, I had to look at a personal, you know, confession time for myself. I thought, I've only read the Bible through six times in my life. And I'm 64 years old. So mathematically, I'm 56 years behind or more. Realistically, I don't know how many times I'll ever I'll be able to read my Bible between now and the time that I die. And likely it will not exceed 50 times. Well, nowhere near hundreds of times. But remaining years that I have, if I can make God's word my ultimate delight, that is the delight I want to know. So I pray that you will join me in intentionally delighting God's word starting today. So let us pray. Father, we, we all fall short. We all sin. We tend to either forget you completely in our business or are obsessed upon legalism that we need to be controlling our lives and everything. But your mercy is new every morning. You are for us. You have numbered the hair on our head. You are good. You do good. You have chosen to love us even when we're unloving and unlovely. We really do want to love you. We are like those three children of Israel. Rescue us, adopt us. You say you are mine. You ask us to take it. We just promise to, to walk with you. We are committed by faith through the Holy Spirit. Thank you.